Welcome to RetroTube Archive Television Podcast. We're clinging to a statue in the park while the world spins around us, but not because we're travelling through time. I'm Adam, this Victorian urchin is Heather. Hello. And today we're taking a look at spooky 1988 children's drama and National Trust propaganda film, the fondly remembered Moondial. Moondial was a six-part adaptation of Helen Cresswell's children's book of the same name, broadcast on BBC One during February and March 1988, directed by Colin Cant, or can he, <laughs> and produced by the mighty Paul Stone, the man behind Box of Delights, among many others. This was one of the final entries into the BBC's 20-year run of folk horror serials for children, starting with The Owl Service in 1969 and going on until Tom's Midnight Garden in 1989. Or maybe I was just too old for them after that and stopped watching. Heather, was this something you'd come across before? Did you see any of the BBC's adaptations for children around this time? And most importantly, what did you think? Uh, right, hang on. Uh, I was listening to you and I, I understood all of those questions. And as soon as you finished asking them, I'd forgotten. Uh, no, no, and... There may have been a third before the fourth. <laughs> mm, what did you think? What did I think? Mm. I have very mixed feelings about it. Excellent. This makes for good podcasting. Before we we watched it, we uh, you were like, I want us to do Moondial. And I looked up about it and um, I am... I am a big wimp. Uh, this, this is well documented. I have always been a big mm. wimp. I, I have suffered since very young childhood with horrific nightmares very very vivid i think they're real while i'm having them there is no there, there's nothing that happens in the nightmares that makes me think that it's not real i'm re and i'm really hypersensitive to a lot of things so most things give me nightmares which is pretty much why i only watch spy shows and batman uh, <laughs> yeah anything that's like got a hint of anything i am just a big nerd when, when you said you wanted us to do this, I had a quick look. The review that I read was that it was this demonic, satanic thing where there are ghosts and stuff. And I was like, and Satan himself was Satan going himself. to be in it. Actual the devil. And I was like, <laughs> I can't. I can't watch that. I am never going to sleep again. I'm still trying to recover from Sapphire and Steel. And that was nearly two years ago. <laughs> yes, and uh, Ch Children of the Stones didn't go down well either, did it? Well, it wasn't the May West. Uh, so I was like, Adam, just, I don't think, I don't think I can. This is going to be, this is going to be horrible. And I am not going to recover. And I just can't, I just can't. And you were like, why? <laughs> it's just about two kids who do some time travelling. And I was like, what? That was never mentioned. <laughs> Um, uh, so I went in kind of expecting to be terrified I was a little terrified but I asked you to watch it first just to double check that the it would be okay and you assured me you assured me I assured you there was no Satan and you were right no Satan it's essentially just an academic talking nonsense yes we've been friends for a long time you you know I'm a wimp you know you know some of the big things that get to me there were a lot of things that got to me. I was still quite scared. And um, you were like, it's it's fine. The only thing that might be a little bit, a little bit what's it, 
is uh, there's, there's a scene towards the beginning where the main character's mum is involved in an accident. That's quite that's quite harrowing. Mm-hmm. You didn't mention you didn't mention the prolonged systematic child abuse that went on. Well, apparently that's fine. That's fine. But heaven forbid somebody be in a crash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, bullying of children is all par for the course of children's dramas of this era. You also you also did not mention the scene later on, which has got like all of my phobias all over it. But that was that was fine too, apparently. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you're fired. Uh. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Children with sacks on their heads. Children the with sacks on like. their heads. I did not like. With I eyes did, cut no. out, so they looked all no, scary. And no, anything no, to do with no. masks. You, you are not. Anything keen on, to do you? with masks. I'm a huge big no. Mm. I don't do Halloween. I, I I pretty much stay in the house for all of October because no, mm. um, just just no. There was an awful lot of just no. However, <clears throat> having said all of that, because there were a lot of things that really scared me. When you say child abuse, it's it's bullying. It's not nothing more. No, there were grown there were grown ups beating children. There were grown ups beating children this relentlessly. Yes. I'd forgotten about that as well. Yes, he's horrible, that man. It was horrible. Mm. And it wasn't just one... It wasn't just a man. It was a woman as well. Mm. So, yeah, no, there were a lot of things that I really hated and did not like and I'm just not ready for. But having said that, there were quite a few things that I did very much enjoy about it. I uh, would not have watched it had uh, had you not forced me to and lied to me about <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it was, the acting was better than I expected. Yes. And the, uh, story itself was, uh, like the plot was really good. And you did also tempt me with the promise of a special guest. And I was not disappointed by the special guest. Special guest star who, who has appeared in two previous RetroTube episodes, so we'll come to them a bit later. We are big fans. In my defence, I have to say, I have a very high tolerance for scary things on TV, so it's not always easy for me to twig. You were disturbed by the Golden Girls because you thought they rowed all the time. Make and it I, make sense, Adam. I, Make it makes sense. I wasn't disturbed by the Golden Girls. I just didn't understand why the theme tune was all about being great friends and loving each other, but all they do is say horrible things about each other in the actual show. And it's like, I was confused. But no, uh, Golden Girls didn't scare me. It was not one of the ones that, that bothered me. I'm made of tougher stuff these days anyway. The Liver Birds scared me, but um, yeah, I, I can I can watch the Liver Birds with the light off these days. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch the Live of Birds, but I could. You're not missing anything, <laughs> apart from some really bad Scouse accents. Could you give us a very brief overview of the plot? I most certainly can. This is about a girl named Minty, which is a lovely name. Very refreshing. <laughs> and she is, uh, she's described in an awful lot of things as a sulky teenager. She is not a sulky teenager. She's lovely. She has recently lost her father. And her mum gone back to work after a grieving process and it's getting to like summer holidays time and her mum has to work and she can't figure out quite what to do with Minty because she can't very much stay on her own all the time because she's a bit young. So she packs Minty off to Aunt Mary, who is Minty's mum's godmother. Aunt Mary is very nice, but a bit odd. (laughs) 
We'll get to Aunt Mary. I have words about Aunt Mary. Minty finds herself, through no fault of her own, just from having a bit of a wander around the village, that there is a sundial in the grounds of the local stately home. Belton House. Which I feel is actually the Leslie ancestral home. <laughs> that's just about that's what I think of. When you when you say about like when when you were growing up in rural Lincolnshire, that's where I think you lived. <laughs> You're not far wrong. In your back garden, there's this big sundial which Minty finds on one of her little jaunts. She's there, she's having a look at it, and all of a sudden the entire garden starts spinning, and it's a very big garden. And then when it stops spinning, she finds herself in Victorian times and meets a pal, and they have japes, hijinks and adventures. Yes, that's pretty much it, isn't it? I think the dramatic thrust of it is the fact that she meets another child later on, and both that child and the little Victorian pal are being quite horribly bullied by grown-ups and children. Yes, they are. It's down to Minty to rescue them from their predicament. Good old Minty. She knows what's up. She often introduces herself, goes up to people and says, I'm Minty, and they say, I don't care what flavour you are. (laughs) I grew up in a tiny village, a tiny microscopic village, deep in the Lincolnshire countryside, called Carlton Scroop. This is a proper old-fashioned working-class village. It wasn't the more modern, gentrified, middle-class villages that you tend to get now. This was a a proper working-class village. It was like living on Tatooine. If there's a bright centre to the country, you're in the village that it's furthest from. (laughs) Very, very flat. We had the twin sunsets. I would often stand on the edge of my farmstead looking out over the twin sunsets while the mournful horn music played. We didn't have a shop. There was barely a pub. Back in the early 80s, we didn't even have a telephone, so it was a 10-minute walk through the countryside to the nearest phone box if you wanted to call someone and no one could call you. I don't know what people did in emergencies back then. If we needed anything from the shop and it wasn't grocery shopping day when we went to Fine Fair in Grantham and my dad wasn't around with the car, we all had to get on our bikes and cycle three miles to Caythorpe if we wanted milk or sweeties or ice cream or anything like that. If it was baking day and we'd run out of flour, on our bikes, off to Caythorpe, along the main road, contesting with huge double-decker buses and lorries roaring past. So it was a very tiny and indistinct and insignificant village. The, The only really defining feature it had was on the hill overlooking the village there was this huge cold war microwave repeater telephone mast very distinctive looking thing Uh, and it got into my dreams every night there were so many nights that i dreamt about it collapsing (laughs) all these anxiety dreams about the about the radio mast collapsing or sinking tilting like the leaning tower of pizza even though it was a telephone mast, we called it the beacon, I think because it had red lights on it. So at night, even at night you could see it because it had these very bright red lights. So much so that when I was at primary school, I insisted to someone that the reason it was there was to stop aeroplanes crashing into it. That was its, that was its purpose. It was there to stop aeroplanes crashing into it. That made total sense to me. Well, that's fair. <laughs> I, I insisted. I insisted. No, my <laughs> mum said... That it's, that it's there to stop aeroplanes crashing into it. Well, it I'm sorry, but Mrs. Leslie would not lead you astray. <laughs> no. And when we were coming home from holidays, the beacon, that was the thing that would tell us that we were nearly home. 
because you could see it from such a distance. You see it, there's the beacon, and the first one who spotted it always had to sing, I can see the beacon, beacon and eggs, beacon and eggs. <laughs> that was That was our ritual. Nothing ever happened there. There was no film or TV took place. You never saw celebrities, anything like that. So everything on that's involved in film and TV was just this other country. Everything on the news happened elsewhere. Everything in drama and science fiction, fantasy, all the things I watched happened elsewhere. Nothing ever happened in rural Lincolnshire. So that was Carlton's group. The next village along, heading towards Grantham, uh, was another extremely tiny village called Honington. And that had a railway crossing. Uh, it had the circus animals, wow. of course. Every village needs circus animals. And it had the telephone exchange. The circus animals, that's where the circus parked up. There must have been a local travelling circus, but it parked up when it wasn't in use next to the railway crossing. So the railway crossing was a proper old-fashioned one. It was a, a big glass and wood booth, and it had all the levers. So there's some kind of Dickensian ghost story going on there on a regular basis. Uh, but you, driving to Grantham... Just before we got to the crossing, if you're in the car or on the bus, you could always see the llamas and the giraffes peering over the fence quizzically, wondering what on earth they were doing there. That was our local telephone exchange, so this was back we back when we had a three-digit phone number, <laughs> which is quite a thing to think of now. Our phone number in Colton's group was Honington 614, and you picked up the phone and said, Honington 614. Wow. Uh, until until we got modernised. Yeah, no, he didn't say hello back then. He said, Honington 614. Wow. Until we got modernised with a five-digit phone number and we went over to the Loveden telephone exchange, which felt very cosmopolitan. I'm sure it would have done. Uh, Even though that's actually a much more folk horror ontological telephone exchange to have because Loveden Hill is an Anglo-Saxon cemetery, so our telephone number was named after an Anglo-Saxon cemetery. So that's, (laughs) that's very owl service. So the next village along from that, heading towards Grantham, was a village called Barkston, where all the dogs lived. Or maybe, I don't know about that, but there certainly used to be a pub there called The Plough, which in the 40s and 50s, and possibly before, was owned by Stan Laurel's sister, Olga. And occasionally when we were driving through, one of my parents would say that Laurel and Hardy used to visit Barkston, which was a very strange thought. It was weird to imagine them even knowing about Barkston, let alone going there i always imagined laurel and hardy walking along i imagined how strange it would be just to be driving through and you'd look out the car window and there's laurel and hardy just walking down the street in their black bowler hats and their black suits do you think the theme tune Uh, would have followed them along i think so yeah yeah i i think so but of course it wasn't, this was later on in the 40s and 50s and it wasn't, there was a big media thing that went with it as well, so it wasn't quite how it happened in my imagination. There are newspaper reports that you can look up of uh, Laurel and Hardy visiting Stan Laurel's sister and brother-in-law at the Plough Pub in Barkston, but it's still a strange thing to imagine them both there. Uh, and nearby was the tiny village of Syston, which held motorcycle Grand Prix in the 1930s. But the next village after Barkston, heading towards Grantham, four miles from where I lived, was Belton. It was the, a place that we would go for days out in the summer. Yes. Uh, it was quite expensive to go and get in, and that's one thing that Moondial omits, <laughs> was that you had to pay quite a lot to get inside. Minty is always just wandering in, and the local kids just seem to wander in. What does it think it is, Chatsworth? I know! Exactly. 
Well, no, this this had a very uh, exciting draw. This was another thing that Moondial omitted. It had uh, Europe's biggest adventure playground. No way. Get out of town. Which Minty conspicuously never goes to, and she, she might cheer goes. up if she went to. The, she she might cheer up if she went down the fireman's pole once or twice. <laughs> I wasn't intending that as something for you to snigger at. <laughs> oh, don't say it. I meant that. I meant that sincerely. Lost Heather. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just was not. Ex- I was just not expecting. Oh, I'm sorry. Um. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> of, all, of all the things, of all the things she could have said. I'm too innocent to hold a conversation with you. <laughs> there was there was a couple of fireman's poles. It was great fun. I'm it sure it down, was. It. I'm sure it was. Please stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I, it was just unexpected. It was just unexpected. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Poor old Minty. Do you not think she suffered enough? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, it was this big adventure playground. It was by the road. So it was all along the other side of the wall next to the main road. So when you're on the bus coming back from Grantham, if you're on the top deck of the double decker bus, mm. the 102 or the 201, I think, going back towards Carlton's group, up towards Lincoln, you could see all the children playing on this big adventure playground. So there's these wooden things. There was a pirate ship. Nice. Uh, I think there's like a castle. You didn't lead with the pirate uh, ship. No, the pirate ship was great. So you could climb up the rigging and go down the fireman's pole. <laughs> you had to have a fireman's pole. Well, yeah, it would be rude not to. I don't. I don't know what <laughs> earthly good firemen would be on a pirate ship, but anyway. <laughs> well, it's made of wood. It would have been a health and safety nightmare, though. There's there very little safeguarding, and it's been demolished or dismantled since. Apparently, it's been, parts of it have been reassembled. Or there's a new one reassembled elsewhere, but I think the original location, it's all gone. But there's quite a, a stretch of these big wooden constructions that children could clamber all over and hurt themselves on and nice. get terrible injuries. Wonderful. I survived intact. I was one of the lucky ones. <laughs> You don't understand. You weren't there. You weren't there. You can't know. You you weren't there at the Belton House 1985. No, you don't understand. We saw things. But the great thing about Belton House was that it had all these different environments in it and they all fitted together. But you could never, or at least because I have no sense of direction, I could never quite in my mind remember how all these different environments fitted together. Mm. So it became this sort of weird psychogeography and I often dreamt about even long after I moved away I, I dreamt about Belton House and the grounds of Belton House and trying to find my way around and finding all the different places and uncovering all these different areas 
So there was quite a dark area of woodland that had a kiosk where you'd buy strawberry splits. We bought a strawberry split every time we went in. Did it only sell strawberry splits? Was that? I think we just became a bit habitualised. Okay. There was a scary Industrial Revolution era water wheel in a shed. What? I think they had to keep it in a shed to stop it getting out and marauding. Yes, it happens. Just an ordinary looking shed, but you'd look into the window and there was this huge water wheel in it churning away this big industrial thing that's on the way to the adventure playground so you go to the adventure playground uh, there's a miniature train right that you could ride on that took you deep into the jungle and then i think parallel to that along the river there was a boat ride and that was a bit like apocalypse now you, you get ferried out into the jungle and i think that ran parallel to the little train you could also walk through the woods so the adventure playground would kind of peter out and you're just walking through woods Mm. Uh, there's the stately home itself which you could pay extra to go in and have a tour around and then there was the immediate grounds around it which we see minty on a lot so all the gravel and everything and the orangery where you could buy tea and scones and the ornamental gardens with the the fountains and the sundial i don't remember the sundial i'm very disappointed that i don't remember the sundial of all the things i remember about belton i don't remember the sundial because i didn't go what if they brought the sundial with them what if it actually was not a part of the thing? I think it is part of the thing, although I might be wrong. Okay. I think it is actually part anybody of the thing. anybody knows, please let us know. Yes. If we were on YouTube, I'd be pointing to, pointing downwards going, let us know in the comments below. Like, yes, tweet us. Then there's the obligatory stately home flatlands with the herds of deer. There were lakes. I think we only found the lakes once. Sometimes you'd be looking for a place, but you wouldn't be able to find it, which is very dreamlike. Whoa. I know there's lakes here somewhere, but I can't quite find them. And one summer we went... And there was millions of baby frogs jumping about. Like you'd be walking and just these hordes of frogs. It was really cute. And then if you walked far enough, you could uh, find yourself just in regular fields, which was quite surreal. Like You've paid to get into Belton House and now it's just regular fields, like it's a normal place. And then you'd have to work your way back to the magical stately home area of it. There's a photograph of me there with my cousins and I'm howling because one of my cousins bit my finger. How dare they? <laughs> because that's the kind of thing they would do. So imagine my delight when suddenly there's a TV drama set there. That would be incredible. Except I didn't live there anymore when it was on. Oh, pig in hell. We'd moved, we'd moved in 1986, oh, and this was shown in 1988. We actually didn't move very far. We lived in Wilsford, which is another tiny village in Lincolnshire. This is where I first met Doctor Who fan extraordinaire Philip Ware. And it was, so, so Wilsford was only six miles away from Belton House, but it, that was close to Sleaford. That was our nearest town rather than Grantham. So we actually never went back to Belton after Moondial was shown. I've still yet to go back. I've still yet to go and explore and see all the locations. But watching it again, I'm quite inspired to now. We should go on an adventure one day when I'm well. We should, yeah. We could do like a field trip podcast. We should. We should do a field trip podcast. That would be great. Yes, it was still very strange watching it. And I think it was even stranger having moved away not long ago and it was a little bit nostalgic. It's like, oh yeah, Belton. We remembered Aunt Mary's house. Aunt Mary's house is quite a distinctive looking house. And we'd wandered around the churchyard a few times as well. So it's all filmed around Belton. There's none of the um, the cheating that you sometimes get in film and TV, where it's, yeah, the magic of television where they substitute one place for another and then they kind of mess around with the geography of it. I think this is fairly, fairly faithful to the actual geography of the area. Like the prisoner. 
last time I spoke to my mum about Belton House, she said that one year we went along and it was unexpectedly closed. And I wonder if actually that was summer 1987, which is, would have been when they were filming this. Because it came out in winter, early spring, 88, so it would have been filmed in summer 87. Yeah, you would you would think, because she, she does a lot of wandering about in the dark in a night, and you wouldn't do that in Lincolnshire in winter, <laughs> I would imagine. No. So while this was on, you can imagine a 12-year-old me six miles away, mm. pottering around, being all ginger, looking at things with <laughs> my happens. face. <laughs> playing, playing with my Star Wars figures. Aww. Talking with my little Lincolnshire accent. Aww. Those were the days. <laughs> Weren't they? They were the actual days. They were. So, diving into the actual show itself, diving into episode one, it has a very late 80s look, and the music is very late 80s as well, quite quite like the tripods. Yes, it is. Um, The version I saw, because I don't have the DVDs and was not about to fork out for them, the version I saw, all of the episodes were spliced together. They didn't include any credits or anything like that. So I don't know where episodes began and ended, and I think I've only seen, I only saw the very first ever opening credits, so I don't know if there, there is a different opening credit scene that I need to see or be aware of. So for me, I just... Uh, saw the beginning bit where Minty walks up to the lodge and looks in through the window and sees the little girl and then the lady coming to take her away. And then there's the sundial and then a raven comes and sits yes, down that's on it. it. That's and the then that's titles. it. Yeah, I think it's more or less the same. This is an early 90s edited version that you saw, so it's a bit trimmed. So there may be things that I'm referring to that you didn't actually see because they've trimmed it. I'll just pretend. I wish they'd cut the horrible bits. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of has that foggy, slightly colourless, late 80s outside video look that the tripods had, I think. Yes. And also, obvious day for night filming. There is a lot of that. Lots of nighttime with really heavy shadows. A lot of very blue nighttime. <laughs> yes. Normally, that's a thing that would really annoy me, really dislike day for night filming. But I think in this, it worked because it adds to the strange dreamlike feel of the whole thing. Yes. Especially because most of the times that Minty's wandering around at night time, she knows it's not night time because it wasn't night time a second ago. It makes more sense. Potentially it was a specific choice for that reason alone. And I think one of the things that's good about it is that it sets up an atmosphere and a mood and it never breaks it. It maintains this strange half asleep kind of somnambulistic tone throughout, doesn't it? There are no jarring unexpected comedy scenes or there are very few bits where you suddenly pulled out. It's all very consistent. I tell you what I also liked. I, we have seen we have seen a few things now. We certainly have. We've been watching television, certainly. And we've seen some of these children's dramas. And there have certainly been children who have certainly been reciting lines <laughs> with punctuation. This, I feel, is the first time we have seen a children's drama where there are actors child actors acting actively and convincingly and really well i would say that by and large the children are much better actors than the adults in this in fact that was a note that i made certainly minty and tom fantastic actors i don't think i've seen either of them in other things which is a shame for acting because they were really good yeah i don't think they did a lot after that tony sands who plays tom seems to now run a uh, horror film festival so i think uh, that's a good start if you if you're in a a folk horror tv series playing a ghost that's a great start in life if you're then going to go on to 
run a horror film festival. And I think Siri Neal has retired from acting and has gone on to do other things instead. Fair play. Uh, I saw an interview with her and she felt that she'd done acting. She's given it all she's got and she wants to have more of a variety in life. So has gone on to, to do other things with her life, which seems fair enough. I think that both of those actors seem to get it. Yes. Whereas the a lot of the adult actors don't really know what's going on, I think. They're experienced actors. One of the actors, our guest star, was fabulous. They are never anything else apart from fabulous. They were they were born fabulous. Yeah, and I think what's good about Minty as well is that she's quite a rare character in this kind of thing where she feels like a real person rather than a TV teenage girl. Like she's a world away from one of her contemporary teenage girls in in TV, Ace from Doctor Who. You don't want to go and believe nothing you get from him, Professor. He probably bought 200 of them in a job lot. Do you mind? This is the real McCoy, this is. It comes from an unimpeachable source. What's that then? That means it is beyond reproach or question. I know what unimpeachable means, birdbath. But what makes you so certain this map's pedigree is 24 carats? She's really a middle-aged bloke's idea of what a teenage girl is like and she's a bit of a head case she's quite street and in your face and she's got wearing a puffer jacket with badges on and, and you know she's very cartoonish or you get like the great the, the gum chewing grain chill girls who are fairly similar and identical and all they do is oh get off samo oh leave it out i just want to go to a party don't i whatever that's our second year in it third year if you don't mind had your look or on the other hand, in the the other TV drama adaptations, you get the very posh Edwardian girls. Look how fashioned her clothes are. Now, Gerald, you're the eldest, you must be the prince. But Minty feels like a person. She feels like a person. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, like the the, the majority of synopsis that I, that I've read about Moondale has been like, oh, Minty's really sulky. Well, she's not. She's not sulky at all. Uh, she has a really good relationship with her mum, which is rare in these things. Yes, they're seen hugging and telling each other that they love each other and having a giggle. They have banter. They banter, and she's very polite to the, the adults that she meets. She's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not confrontational. She's not. I mean, apart from like one tiny, tiny moment, she's very funny. She's very dry. She gets on with her mum's boyfriend as well, which is very yes. rare in these things. She she likes him. Whatever he's, I forget what his name is. Miss, oh, John Benson. John Benson. That's it. Presumably, her mum started dating from work because I think they're meant to work together, aren't they? She's a really nice character. She's she's got a personality that's not girl. She does stuff. Yeah, she has an inner life. She's self-contained. She's thoughtful. She thinks about stuff. She daydreams and she does stuff that's not just girl things. Yeah, and she she's very proactive. She'll she'll go out and get ideas to do things and she will go through with them. And she's lost a dad. She's just lost a dad. And then an awful thing happens. So she's going through horrible, horrible things. And when you're going through horrible, horrible things, you cannot 100% be giggly and cheerful and skip. But Despite the fact that she's going through all of these awful things, she's not, she is never an unpleasant child. And you know me and how much I can't stand children. <laughs> Minty's probably one of the nicest children I've seen in a children's yeah. television show. And she's not nice and like just passively nice. She's, she's a morally strong character. 
even though she might she's probably only like 13 14 perhaps she's got a very strong sense of self um and her own moral code and her own you know she 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 knows herself mm. and i think I, I just think she's such a well-written character and she's acted so well we heart minty we do i wonder if a lot of it is to do with the fact she's played by an actual 14 year old rather than like Ace, a 25-year-old. She's not doing children acting. She's just playing a person her own age. We're managing all right, aren't we? Of course we are. Dad would be proud of us. I told him I'd look after you. Soon be the holidays. We've got to do something about you. Post me off somewhere like a parcel. That's an idea. Registered, of course. Of course. Minty seems like a good kid, but Colin Kant, the director, he went to the stage school where they auditioned the kids, and he he asked for the naughty kids. So Siri Neal was actually one of the naughty ones. No. Uh, according to her, all of her con- contemporaries at drama school were like, "What's she doing on TV?" <laughs> She's the one that's supposed to be just, like, messing up and being a failure. Or we're all supposed to be the big stars. All those Bonnie Langford types, we're the stars. She's got her own show. (laughs) We're here doing jazz hands like nobody's business. And there she is. Do you remember in the first, very first episode we did, the Tripods one? I said, Kerry Seal, Siri Neal, got to have a system. Yes. Kerry Seal played uh, Beanpole in the tripods. Oh, yes. And I said, I'll explain later what that means. So this is later. So Siri Neal. Oh, my God, it's time. Minty. It's been three years. (laughs) Kerry Seal, Siri Neal, got to have a system. So I finally paid off that gag. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you are so patient. (laughs) I know. Sorry, for the second time, I feel speechless. <laughs> <laughs> if anything's been edited out of the version you saw, this may be one of the things. Did you have the very strange scene where she did she does dirty talk with her mum? What do you mean? So she's chatting with her mum in the living room and talking yes. about all the things she might do and places she might visit. And, and she says, maybe you could put me in a package and pop me in the post. Oh, no, no, I saw that bit. I thought that was hilarious. It I didn't was think hilarious, it was dirty. <laughs> well, she's... It's, it's like... Where would you stick the stamp? Yes, and where? Yes, what what stamp you'd have to stick on me and where would you stick it? She says it in such a... It, she says it as an innuendo. Surely. She does. she does, but it's hilarious. She just meant her bottom. <laughs> she did. That's all she meant. She wasn't... <laughs> it's it, like... it, was, it was funny. You, it was funny. Have you never said rude jokes to your parents? I'm the only person who... Like, basically spoken fluent innuendo with both of my parents. <laughs> I'm, is it me? Am I weird? <laughs> it's the way she said it. It's like, and where would you stick would it? Would you stick it? Ooh, and, oh, and her mum was just like, somewhere appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Post me off somewhere like a parcel. That's an idea. Registered, of course. Of course. Wonder what it would cost. What stamp you'd have to stick on me? And where would you stick it? Somewhere appropriate. I'm sure you would. It's nice she's having fun banter with her mum rather than... Because mm. it's so often they just write... Mum and teenage daughter, they bicker. Yes. And they row and the slamming doors. There's none of that in this. No, there's not. It's like... Um, it's a bit like the Children of the Stones relationship between Blake and the kid... 
because they both like each other. He's much naughtier, though. He's he's much more of that. He's ag- a lot naughtier. He, he's very much that aggressive nineteen seventies boy archetype. Yes, he's very short tempered and aggressive, like a lot of boys in the nineteen seventies seem to be. Well, they grew up to be very short tempered men. They did. This is true. You nutter! Look at my bike! You stupid old fool! Look at my jacket! Go on, swear a bit. Call me worse. Oh no, the village idiot. Just my luck. What do you mean? Get out of my way before I whack what's left of this bike round your straggy neck. One thing that really bothered me about this at the time of watching it, and still quite quite annoys me now, is the accents. Those are not Lincolnshire accents. No, they sounded like more bristly or Devony, entirely the other side of the country. They've got these actors in, specifically Arthur Hewlett and Valerie Lush playing Mr. World and Aunt Mary, talking like with their rounded R's. That's not how we talk in Lincolnshire. I've put her in the same room you used to have, Kate. Oh, I wish I'd like that. Well, take these up. You remember where it is? It's the door facing you at the top of the stairs. I haven't lived in Lincolnshire for a long time, so I can't really do an authentic Lincolnshire accent anymore. I will drop in. I'm sure I'll be able to find audio of authentic Lincolnshire accent. I've always liked it, like looking after the chickens and the pigs and the sheep. You know, I think it's in your blood, maybe, but I've lived on now else, like all my life. I've been on the farm and I've enjoyed it. It's been been good. Thank you. On arrival, getting used to the number of people was the first hurdle. I never thought they'd hardly be this many people, chewing and flowing, aren't they, all the time, you know. It's unbelievable, really. It's a bit different to being down your old fans in the open. There used to be a programme on Channel 4, and I think it wouldn't have this title these days. There's this programme called Human Mutants. I mean, I suppose it's meant to be ironic. Is it about the X-Men? I think possibly they might be a bit more discreet these days. Anyway, that's always my way into a Lincolnshire accent. You would pronounce it Omen Mutants. All right, mate, are you a mutant? Oh, mate, you some kind of mutant, are you? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Teen- teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mate, innit? East Midlands is a, is a very peculiar collective of... And I say this, I say this with love, because I actually love an East Midlandy accent. Like, Nottingham is... Yeah, Norringham, Norrow. I think Nottingham is a beautiful accent. Mm. Um, stop blarting. My sister still says this. My sister's younger than me. Um, only by... <clears throat> five years but she's still younger um, and she'll say stop blarting stop crying um bobos look at them bobos in that field bobo is a horse as accents go and as the english language is meant to be pronounced i feel people from the east midlands say things properly <laughs> good well, i'm glad Liverpool, to hear it east midlands are the only people who say <laughs> things properly and each place in the east midlands have their own way of addressing you so in Not- nottingham they call you me duck they do in lincolnshire it's meat meat they ha- managed to make mate two syllables somehow wow me old meat. that's clever isn't yeah. it yeah meat i never had the full rural accent although i, I was less RP than this, but I still I still say bath. I'm going up the path to have me bath. What the hell are you doing having a bath at the end of path? Well, that's where bath is, isn't it? At the end of path. I would really hope not. I mean, it's not outside. You'd have to go into the bathroom, but the bath bathrooms oh. at end of path. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's like a little bit less stressful. <laughs> but one thing's for sure, they don't talk like that. They don't. So I was very displeased about that at the time. That looks so nice. I made a jelly. Children like jellies. Oh, I love jelly, especially orange. So what did you think to Aunt Mary? I have many thoughts about Aunt Mary. 
I. Hmm. <laughs> it's so creepy. I made a jelly. Children like jelly. <laughs> Children like. <laughs> And also the way she says, I made a jelly really proudly. It's like she's made it from her body. <laughs> I done a jelly. She gave Look. birth to a jelly. Look, I done a jelly. I made a jelly. Children like jellies. I find her really creepy. Minty's really nice about it. Mm. Minty's like, oh, I love jelly. Yeah, yeah, especially orange jelly. You know, Minty has to deal with a lot in this. Mostly Aunt Mary. Mostly her stupid Aunt Mary. There's a scene after... Her mum is in an accident. Aunt Mary's just like, oh, well, never mind. That's happened. Let's uh, just carry on with everything. And Minty's like, no, we've got to talk about this. It's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Aunt Mary's like, no, there's no point. No point in upsetting yourself, me dear. Yes, but I'm already upset. And actually talking about it makes it better. Oh, well, let's just ignore it then, this bad thing that's happened, me dear. Let's just just pretend. Oh, let's let's just just have a cup of tea. Let's never talk about this again. This thing that's actively going on around us. Let's just let's just do a whole ignoring thing. Come along, dear. You'll feel better if you have something to eat. I won't. Not with Mum. Come along, Minty. Look, it's a beautiful day outside. Why don't you want to talk about it? Well, there's no point. No sense in getting morbid. But I want to talk about it. Look, when Dad died, Mum said we were to talk about it all we wanted. And we did. Sometimes it made us cry. But it always got less and less bad. What can't be cured must be patiently endured. You feel Minty's discomfort at having to spend time in a house with this woman. She's not someone you really want to be around. It's, it's like, I must say, I haven't disliked a character in a drama this much for a long time. Just any time she's on screen, she really irritates me. It, it might be deliberate. She seems very determined to remain clueless. But this is interesting as well. This is, this is very counterintuitive because most of these kinds of dramas, if there's an old lady in it, she will be very wise. She'll be the, the person you go to and she will have insights. But this woman's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> she has no insights. really awful and just says the wrong things, but is quite smug and arrogant because she thinks she knows everything, but she has no clue about anything. And she goes around saying these creepy things like children like jelly. And <laughs> yeah, I don't like her. I don't make her go away. This is no slight on the actress herself, who's probably great. Uh, Valerie Lush, she lived to be 97. Wow. Which is pretty good going. She seemed like she was almost that. No, she's, she lived until uh, 2016. Wow, crikey. She, there, there were there were other adults that I hated more. One of the things that she said that I did make note of is uh, what can't be cured must be patiently endured. And mm-hmm. um, I only wrote that down because uh, it was my dad's mum's phrase of choice. Although Nana Wainwright never said patiently. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was nice to hear that phrase weirdly because I've not heard it since before Dad died. 
because he would say it quite a lot. I, I think it is another example, though, of Aunt Mary just kind of shutting out emotion. And cause Minty is a very modern child, and she wants to talk about her emotions and talk things through. And she says that this is how we coped with Dad's death. Yes, me and Mum would talk talk it through and talk about how we felt. Mm. And sometimes we would cry about it, and that's fine. And she's like, "Oh no, dear, no, we must keep our emotions." Oh gosh, she doesn't even say we must keep our emotions bottled up. She just comes out with these platitudes and these these just awful oldie worldy truisms. <laughs> We will not be talking. We will not be having the emotions. This is Britain! (laughs) She's very much a children should be seen and not heard kind of character. So, yeah, I think I just really took against her. I didn't like her at all. That's fair enough. I find find old ladies quite quite creepy, as it is. Uh, So... I'm not arguing with any of this because I didn't... I just kind of nothinged her. I think I was mentally comparing her to the old lady in The Children of Green No, who is this very wise old lady who knows everything and she's very kind and insightful. And you go to her with your emotions and she already knows exactly the right thing to say and she knows the experiences you've just had. But she's not wicked like... She's not like wicked Aunt Mary. She's just dim. She's not mean. (laughs) She's just a low-watt bulb. She's a low-watt bulb. (laughs) Um, pre-Aunt Mary while uh, Minty and her mam are still on the sofa discussing stamps oh yes uh, but I haven't got any stamps (laughs) well done (laughs) thank you Uh, Minty comes out with a line that really hit me very hard uh, and I got very teary Um, she said uh, sometimes I get frightened since dad died Things don't seem safe anymore. Um, um, yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel very much that. So yeah, I kind of, I think, kind of from the very start, I had a, an awful lot to connect with Minty over. Sometimes I get frightened since Dad died. Things don't seem safe anymore. Particularly for something for this era, it's quite good at being emotional, not just being hijinks. Yes, and it's it's a very healthy a healthy approach to mental health. It's okay to have all of the feels. All of the feels are good, even the bad ones. It's all okay. This is a line I wrote down. This is uh, when the uh, Aunt Mary's house and uh, Minty's mother says to Minty, I've always thought of Bilton as a as a happening kind of place. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> It's not, you know. <laughs> There's about three houses there and they've all got old ladies in them. <laughs> yeah, but when they get together... There's <laughs> a right knees up. Also, I really liked Mum's dark blue Volkswagen Beetle. You don't see Volkswagen Beetles much these days. and You don't lovely. often, do you? It was beautiful and a really nice shade of blue. Kind of royal blue, like Everton blue. But then things go horribly south. They do. The bit where she finds out that her mum has been in an accident is genuinely upsetting. Yes. To the point where I'm not even sure I'm going to exert the clip because just to keep the tone <laughs> the tone appropriately light. And it's Minty's reaction. Yes. Because she just spontaneously starts screaming. She goes hysterical. She goes from the screaming to the hysterical laughter. And then, and then Aunt Mary slugged. slaps her across the face. <laughs> she gets slugged by Aunt Mary. <laughs> And also, Aunt Mary doesn't at any point say, oh, don't worry, she's not dead. No, she doesn't even say anything. She she infers that she's dead. They say it was a lorry. Oh, 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 I, oh I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to tell you. I don't know what to say. 
Poor old Minty. She's in hospital. She's still alive. Worse, yeah, she just infers that she's dead. Minty goes hysterical, and then she punches her. <laughs> well, no, she slaps her across the face when she starts laughing. But it's quite, a, it's quite a slug she gets for children's TV. It's a really tough scene. The way that Siri Neil acts it. Quite an emotionally raw moment. Yeah. So, but it, but I thought it was really well done as well. I think it's possibly also the only way to really address something like that. It would been would have been hard to actually get the impact of those emotions across doing it a different way or doing it another way and the the screaming wasn't wasn't like you know that that blake seven episode that we saw with the uh where the woman found um the body and screamed for like three days straight oh yes no it's a sort of guttural growling scream isn't it it was from a whole different bodily place even and you can't act them. And I don't I don't think that Siri Neal is, is acting them. I think she's being them. An incredible emotional performance from a little kid, frankly. Content warning time. I have decided that I will excerpt that moment. Um, but if it's something you feel like you are not up for listening to, then skip forward about a minute or maybe slightly longer. Whatever should I say? Never in all my life. Something the matter wrong? Dreadful, quite dreadful. I don't know. Something to do with my mum? Yes, there's been an act. Oh, you said. It's a performance that is just. It, I, I, I just. Really blown away by her acting in this. A lot of the things that that she does as an actress, a lot of the choices that she makes, I just find really overwhelming by how good they are. Good old Minty. Good old Minty. Oh, which is short for Aminta. I I looked this up. Araminta, yes. Araminta. It's from the Greek, it's from the ancient Greek, and it means defender and vindicator. Oh. Hello, Freddy, foreshadowing. (laughs) It wasn't just a, a random... A random middle-class name. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> Araminta Kane. Minty Kane. You hang those on the tree at Christmas, don't you? <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if she's in a relation to sugar cane from something like that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So to walk off her emotions because Aunt Mary's no help, she goes up to the house, the Belton yes. house. Yes, Aunt Mary won't talk about it. And halfway up the driveway is the lodge, which I think is where you would pay to get in normally. I think that's that's where the actual toll booth was. But in this, this is where a man called World lives. I don't know why his name is World, Mr. World. And if anything, he's even creepier than Aunt Mary. His acting was all weird, and he like was immediately talking to her about ghosts and having to rescue children without even really saying, Hello, how are you? He's immediately into about ghosts. And <laughs> my name's World. I know it's weird. My name's World. I don't know why I'm talking like that. 
You're here to save the children. Yeah. You're, oh, it's you. Come yeah. save the children. You'll find out. You'll find out about that later. Yeah, that'll be five pounds entrance, please. You'll, you'll, you'll find that out in a later episode. Yes. Not one is being left behind, are you? No, I live here. For a while, anyway. With an aunt, Mrs. Bayer. Ah, yes, I've heard about you. So what's your name? Minty. Minty Kane. That's a funny old name. Minty. Short for Araminta. At least it's not two a penny. No, it's not that. Come to meet the children, I dare say. What children? That'll be for you to find out. You mean there are children living in that house? I didn't think anyone lived there. Not anymore. I didn't say anything about living. You mean ghosts? I didn't say that either. But the moment I set eyes on you, I knew. That's her, I thought. That's the one to turn the key. What key? To set them free. Those children I've known for 60 years or more, only in snatches, mind. Glimpses and voices crying. Crying? Because they're locked up and begging and crying to be set free. I can hear their voices in the wind. Sense them the shadows and I fear apes sometimes because they're there begging me and I haven't got the key but now you've come yes there's only three grown-ups in the entire thing the nurse the doctor and Minty's mum who seem like just normal well-adjusted people yes Minty's mum's boyfriend is a lovely chap. He's, you know, really supportive. He's really, you know, he genuinely cares about Minty. He's just dead nice. And everybody else is just like... The character of the boyfriend was really nice, but the actor played him in such a weird way. He's saying things in a very strange and deliberate way. Yes, Minty, we will go and see your mum now. And it, it, it has a slightly patronising tone to him. And I think he's one of the adults that doesn't quite get it, doesn't quite get the tone but i don't know if it's deliberate that it, it, it it's maybe an alienation device to make minty feel isolated that all of the adults around her just seem like they're on a slightly different plane somehow it may be deliberate by the director to to get that feel of isolation for her i don't know i feel like we're being quite charitable <laughs> <laughs> i think we are aren't we i mean i think i think the um best illustration of that is this scene at the hospital where John and Aunt Mary are there and they have the weirdest conversation. Oh, I think that was cut out of the one that I watched. Oh. I think I ought to warn you, Minty, what to expect. You mean about, you mean about the tubes and things? You won't find it easy to see Kate, to see your mother. As you see, in a way, she won't be there. Just asleep? No, not just asleep. Much further away than that. But you mustn't be frightened, Minty, because she is still there. Of course she is. It's marvellous what they can do these days. And she'll probably know that you're there, somewhere deep down. I'm sure that can't be true. Not if she's still in a coma. Oh, no, no, I didn't see oh, that Oh, yeah, that was, that was a really it. odd scene. It's just 
very strange and awkward and I couldn't tell whether it was deliberate or whether it's a combination of the scripting and the acting. It's quite an eerie scene. I think we've we've discovered through the ages, particularly as Doctor Who fans, that cutting down a multi-episode TV series into a feature-length thing is rarely a good idea, particularly when you're just arbitrarily editing bits out for no good reason. What I was going to say about going back to World, the impression that I got of him was that it was a sort of an attempt to have a character of the ilk of Patrick Troughton's character in Box of Delights. Yes, I think so. And like that's what they were kind of aiming for but missed. Because, you know, very few people are Patrick Troughton. He deserved to get zapped by a vervoid, frankly. Uh, which <laughs> it would mean nothing to you. <laughs> and we don't say things like that lightly. <laughs> For me, he came off more creepy than mysterious and charming. This is a strange old man living in a cottage on the way to Belton House who comes out and tells you that children are relying on you. Not ghosts. Not ghosts, though. They're somewhere in between. But I can't say more than that because... They're somewhere in between. They're in Manthorpe. <laughs> there's, a Granth- there's a Grantham joke for you. Oh, dear. <laughs> and then Minty encounters some local kids. So much stonewashed denim. Oh, there's a lot. It's a very 80s moment. Acres of stonewashed denim. And there's a dreadful ginger child. Hor- horrible ginger tra- child. Who leaps out at Minty. <laughs> leaps out and scares Minty with a copy of the dandy. Mm. Luckily, there's one much nicer ginger character later on. But at the moment, he's letting the ginger side down. But there's, there's not enough houses in Belton to have supplied all these children. And children aren't going to come into Belton just to hang out outside of Belton House. That gave me flashbacks to horrible local children picking on you. Yes. Nobody likes horrible local children. Nobody likes horrible faraway children. <laughs> but towards the end of episode one, of course, she meets Tom, short for Edward. And she's Minty, short for Penelope. He's an actual, authentic Victorian urchin. He is. And if this had been filmed in 1960 or 1959, he 100% would have been played by Steve Marriott. I wrote down that he's the folk horror Steve Marriott. <laughs> he is the folk horror Steve Marriott. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if Tom got on with his neighbours, honestly? Blimey. What's up with you? I ain't never seen one at talk before. Who are you? I've seen ghosts before, you know. Well, bits and bobs of things, anyway. Bit of broad daylight. Place the nose in your face. Not me. Hey, what do you mean, ghosts? You're the ghost. Oh, yeah. I'm a ghost, all right. That's why Cook just told me to run for some raspberries. Run here, run there, wish I was a blessed ghost. And I've just come over from my Aunt Mary's house and I don't think I imagined that. Who's Queen then? Elizabeth, of course. Ah, Victoria. God bless her. You're a bit of a letdown for a ghost, ain't you? I'd best be off getting raspberries if I don't want to whack him. You wake up every morning and it's there. It's a good series and I really like it anyway, but it really picks up when these two are on screen together. They have great chemistry. They do, they do. They're bantering instantly. It's like, hey, I don't know you. We're now best friends. He seems very, very nonplussed to be in the presence of a ghost, which is what he thinks that she is. Because he's seen ghosts before, you know. Well, bits and bobs of things. 
<laughs> I always like it when you do your Cockney accent. <laughs> what a bits of bobs of things. <laughs> I don't know, but would, would you stick a stamp there? <laughs> so a disembodied hand once. Uh, <laughs> that was a thing. He wishes he was a blessed ghost. God love him. You can't be real. You're wearing double denim. You've got to be a ghost, ain't you? <laughs> uh, and of course, Tom does the dreaded the dreaded coughing, which never oh. ends well in, in dramas, in any kind of TV drama, if there's coughing. No. He asks Minty if she, if she thinks that he's grown in the last couple of days. She says no, and he reacts by coughing at her. <laughs> <laughs> coughing so bad. But she hastily backpedals and says, well, now I look at you properly. Yes, maybe a millimetre. He's coughing so bad that his little hat goes up and down. <laughs> it does. Poor Tom. He's an orphan and his brothers and sisters are all still in London while he has to be his equivalent of up north, which is still down south. And he he is working for a lot of very mean people. And all he wants is to become a footman so that he can bring his little sister Dory up from London so that she can be with him. I think that's adorable and also heartbreaking. All of the adults in... All the Victorian adults are just crazy angry. They're insane. They're just off the leash, abusive. The head cook goes off a nut because of winking and then she becomes obsessed by winking and she locks him in a storeroom because he's been doing some winking. Oh, yes. I've, I've, I've made a few notes about that. She says, <laughs> she says, uh, hang on a minute, I wrote it out because, <laughs> I mean, it was a horrible, horrible scene, but the dialogue just did not help. Uh, um, Minty realised she's invisible and she's made up. Tom winks at her and grins. Mrs Crump sees him, takes exception to the winking. What follows is a tirade of wanking jokes, culminating in... <laughs> You come along with me and I'll put you somewhere where you can wink yourself blind. <laughs> this is potentially not the thing to say to a dog. <laughs> Again, I didn't really think of it that way. I'm far too innocent. <laughs> she locks Tom in a room to polish bottles. This is not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, she also locks Minty in there too. And Minty's very upset about this. Uh, poor old Minty. We've reached the second cliffhanger already. The cliffhanger of episode one is a handshake cliffhanger. Yes. Where they're going to shake hands to test whether whether one of them's a ghost or not. But they succeed in actually shaking hands, which suggests that Minty has time travelled, which indeed she has. Oh, there's another creepy adult uh, in episode two. The creepy guide in the blazer. That old man who appears when she's looking at a painting and is, is generally a bit creepy. Why are all the adults so creepy? Oh, no, I didn't didn't see that that was chopped out oh was that bit that was edited out she finds a painting that has sarah is depicted in the painting oh right a character we meet later on so it's just just an important plot point arbitrarily chopped out by the people in 1990 who edited this video together you like it (laughs) if you had been a girl in those days you certainly wouldn't be dressed like that they never quite looked like children to me more like miniature grown-ups i know what you mean those children, are they Victorian? No, no. Much earlier than that, the previous century. It's that dark shape. Looks like a child with no face. 
portrait, no face. Oh yes, you may be right. How oh, very odd. <laughs> Never noticed that before. Are there any ghosts in the house? Ghosts? <laughs> There's some sort of story about the Queen's bedroom. Star-crossed lovers or something like that. It's not Tom. Have you seen the kitchens yet? The spinning moon dial reminded me of the TARDIS console in The Mind Robber. We get to see the mysterious little girl, and of course she's singing nursery rhymes, because that's what little girls do. Spooky little girls sing nursery rhymes. Yes, and Minty joins in. A lady calls for the little girl, she comes out and grabs hold of her and drags her away, calling her a devil child and saying that she scared the moon away. Not a thing we should say to children. She seems like a bit of a nasty old pasty. And nobody can scare the moon away. As happiness Stan found out. Exactly. There he was, watching as the white light slowly made the night bright, while sleeping by while time stands still. This is a very small faces S podcast <laughs> accidentally, isn't it? <laughs> we do have a Cockney urchin in this. One thing I noted whilst watching Children of Green know, but I think it's appropriate here as well, is that I think Paul Stone should have been Doctor Who producer around this time and taken over from John Nathan Turner, who had had who had had quite a run, and I think was possibly losing a bit of inspiration towards the mid eighties. Doctor Who was really starting to lose its sense of mystery and was becoming this very gaudy, brightly coloured, violent pantomime with very little mystery and magic to it. And and people will often say, oh, well, it's the 80s, what do you expect? That's what TV was like in the 80s. But actually, the Paul Stone stuff, like this and like Children of Green No and Box of Delights, shows that actually BBC drama could still do really magical, mysterious stuff. And I think if someone like him was producing Doctor Who and doing these kinds of stories, you could get back to the kind of William Hartnell early days of Doctor Who's sense of mystery and magic. Or even going back into the Tom mm. mid-Tom Baker era, getting, getting that really spooky, lovely kind of Saturday tea time, cosy with the fire on and the curtains drawn, settling down to watch some mysterious, spooky Doctor Who story. 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, Juice. It'll do you good. Honestly, carrots are full of vitamin A. Mel, have you studied my ears lately? So I just noted down that the ginger nurse is the only reasonable adult in it because the ginger nurse is, is making up for the horrible ginger boy who scares Minty earlier when lovely John Abbott turns up playing the doctor. And the doctor seems lovely. This was also cut. Oh, no, you, you missed John Abbott. John Abbott, for anyone who doesn't immediately know the name, he played Vince in Horror of Fangrock, and Vince is the best character in Horror of Fangrock. I always think that John Abbott looks like Ray Davis, which you won't know because that was cut out from your version, which is a terrible shame. Absolutely. It's a marvellous idea. You've got to swear that you'll never, ever listen. Do you promise? Cross my heart and hope to die. And you've got to make the nurses swear as well. Oh, I'll make them. If they don't, I'll kick them out. <laughs> Sounds like a very special story you've got to tell. And she'll hear it, Minty. Never you fear. She's a long way away at the moment, resting, but she's there. And the one voice she wants to hear in the whole world is yours. I'm going to Google John Abbott right now because I have not seen Fang Devil Rock. Oh, no. But yes, that's the other John Abbott who was in an episode of The Monkeys. 
Oh, yes. Yes, no, it's fine. I've got, yep, no, I, I agree. He does have a look of Ray Davis. Yes. Mm-hmm. I worked out that Minty lives in Uxbridge normally because at one point when she returns back to her normal house, she picks up the Hillingdon Leader newspaper. I love all of this local knowledge that you're bringing to this episode. Yes, I mean, I, I looked that up. I don't really know Uxbridge. When we get an episode of a show that was filmed in Tarleton... <laughs> Then I'll be able to come into my own, but I don't. I don't think anybody knows where Tarleton is, and, and frankly, they're far more fortunate than I am. We're introduced to the idea of Miss Raven, and I like the fact that we hear about Miss Raven quite a long time before we see her. Yes. So she's an absent character who's around but unseen for a while. So she's coming to live. This this character who's a, a ghost hunter called Miss Raven, and she's lodging with Minty and Aunt Mary in a spare room, and so. Aunt Mary tells her all about her and Aunt Mary says very positive things about her but World has very different opinions and doesn't like her and she's a sort of, sort of person that he wouldn't even give the time to. But I really like that, that they build up this anticipation of the fact that we don't see who Miss Raven is for a while and, and Minty starts to get quite anxious about meeting her and then has to... She has this lovely scene where she just talks herself into, into liking herself. She's probably just a lovely old lady. She's got slippers and she does knitting and... And she tells herself these things to make herself feel less anxious about Miss Raven. Oh, Mum, I do love you. And I miss you. I can't tell you how odd it feels to be talking to you and you not to be there. But I've got this story to tell. It's a true one. Of what's happening to me here in Belton. And in a funny kind of way, it's as if it's your story too. Like it's an adventure we both have to go through together before you come back. And now you'll have to wait till the next instalment. Who is the mysterious hooded child? And why do we only see her at night? (laughs) And who is the sinister Miss Raven? The ghost hunter. Dun dun. <laughs> She's probably the most harmless old duck in the world. She probably sits crocheting tea cosies for bringing by sales when she's not looking for ghosts. And has a hot water bottle and wears lace up shoes. A dear old lady. A harmless old bat. <laughs> the thing the thing that did my head in about Aunt Mary, because I know you don't mind a bit of Aunt Mary bashing. No, go for it. I'm here for this. When uh when she was telling Minty about Miss Raven turning up, which is which is fine, you know, Minty wasn't bothered about that. But then Aunt Mary said, I do wish you kept your room a bit tidier. And Minty was like, She's been in my bedroom. Yeah, she said, Oh I'm sorry, I didn't realise it was open to the public. Quite rightly. And then Aunt Mary tells her off. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, I don't care that, that Minty doesn't live there permanently. She's been assigned a bedroom and she's been assigned her own privacy. And that's her that's her place. That's her spot. If Aunt Mary had said to her, Miss Raven's coming over. I'm going to show her the whole house. Tidy your room before you leave because I'm going, I'm going to show her the room. Minty probably would have said, all right, I'll tidy my room and I'll make my bed. Um, everywhere will look nice. I mean, I get it's Aunt Mary's house and she can go where she wants, but it's also Minty's space. And... A lot of things have been taken away from Minty. 
quite forcibly. And the one time, the one time Minty pushes back even slightly, I mean, she wasn't rude. She was righteously annoyed because who wouldn't be? Don't be a bitch, Aunt Mary. <laughs> Aunt Mary has zero sense of humour, and this is what annoys me about her, I think. She has zero sense of humour. She's not too sharp, and she has no sense of humour, which is not a good combination in anyone. I'll go tonight before she gets here. The only thing is, what if Aunt Mary locks all the doors and I can't get out? What a question, as if I wouldn't. You never know who's about, even in the daytime. I thought you did. I just wanted to make sure. Well, you needn't worry your head about that, dear. I lock the doors front and back every night, and then I take out the keys and put them in the tea caddy. It's delicious cake. <laughs> Good. Don't just presume everybody likes jelly. <laughs> that you've Not made from good. your own body. Um. <laughs> Gross. Um... So, just to get away from Aunt Mary being an idiot, she goes and sees World. World is like, this woman is horrible. Don't trust her. So, uh, to cheer herself up, Minty goes walking through the graveyard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've got really worried about this because she sees this gravestone that says 1871 and it's just a tiny gravestone and that's all it says and... She presumes from that that the, the grave is, is for a child. And then she says, why doesn't it say dearly beloved son or daughter of anyone? This is very sad. And I have a feeling it's Tom's grave. Well, the initials on it are E-L, and we know what Tom is short for. Tom's short for Edward. He wasn't joking, guys. I think the fact that he's called Tom is, is a, a nifty bit of misdirection to make us forget that his his name is actually Edward. So I think I think that is actually Tom's grave, unfortunately. I think the, the coughing yes, will not lead I to a good too. place. I think another good thing about this series is that as well as being quite emotionally healthy, it's quite educational as well about what a Victorian child's life would be like if you weren't born into like the wealthy classes. If you're a working class child, you'd be expected to work hard and you'd get abused by people and your parents might have died and you're some of your siblings might have died and you might be separated from your living siblings and you're having this really tough life so i think yeah it does a lot of these things really well it it combines being educational with telling a good story and with having this emotional arc and having quite an, a healthy emotional outlook at one point minty goes to see world and she says to world has there been a woman here asking things to which world says a lot of women come here asking things <laughs> do they now <laughs> you old devil they don't they don't world <laughs> they don't come on or possibly a lot of women come here asking things like no world that's me that's always me it's always the same one i come here asking things <laughs> i'm here every day asking you things <laughs> Minty finds a picture of her mum which she sticks on her wall and I really like the fact that it's Joanna Dunham's headshot. It is. It's, it's Joanna Dunham's spotlight photo. <laughs> it is. Have, have this to remember me back. Yeah. And also hire me if, if, if you have any roles going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is what I look like. Minty's having a chat to a mum, to a mum's photo and she's, she's decided that she's going to start recording her escapades from her time with Aunt Mary. All about the time travel and everything. She's talking about Miss Raven and even though she's tried to reassure herself about the crocheting and the hot water bottles and and, and 
things. She still decides to go back to the sundial at night before Miss Raven arrives the next day. And the gates to the lodge are locked. And she's so upset, she, she just turns around. And then the first thing she sees is a cat that looks exactly like Wilby. Oh, yes, I remember. The big yes. orange cat. Yes. The big orange cat. I was like, oh. Wilby, what are you doing there? <laughs> in 1988. You were only born in March. <laughs> Towards the end of the episode, we see a close-up of uh, Minty's night counter. Her The counter beside... What's it called? The, the little table, her little night table behind, beside her bed. Bedside cabinet. Towards the end of the episode, we see a close-up of Minty's bedside cabinet, including a can of Panda Cola with the old-style ring pulls, the type that would come all the way off so you could just leave them lying around the countryside. Oh, do you know what? That too. That too was cut. Oh, was it? I didn't even get to see an old can of Coke. You didn't get to see the Panda Cola. Hell, guys. Blimey. Maybe very nostalgic, though. I mean, I don't, I don't think that old-style ring pulls are better because they would just get left all over the countryside or end up cutting you. Yes, that's true. Uh, but, but it's still nostalgic to see the old-type style ring pulls. Do Panda Pops even still exist? I don't know if they do. I'm not sure I've seen a can of Panda Pop before because normally they come in the little plastic bottles, but this was a can. This is a can of Panda Cola, probably from the spa shop. I love things like that that are like actually properly nostalgic like at the beginning of episode one when they're watching the six o'clock news like i'd forgotten yeah i'd forgotten how that music went but then as soon as it did i was like back in the front room of burnley road or wherever it was that we were living at the time yes i love stuff like that i'm gutted that they cut they cut so much stuff did i even see any of this story no wonder i haven't got a bleeding clue what the bleeding hell's going on you do you do know what's going on. Time travelling children, innit? I like the story element of her reading a tape for, or making a tape for her mum to play to her. So her mum's in a coma in the hospital and she's been to visit her mum, but it freaks her out a bit and she doesn't really like it. And at one point she goes to see her mum and she says, hello, Kate. And then she can't really do anything else. So so rather than actually being in the room with her mum and being freaked out, she, she records these c90 tapes for her so her mum gets to hear about these adventures that she's been on which is nice it's a very evocative thing i think just recording tapes for people is a very evocative thing it is so i think we're up to episode four now yes this is the contentious episode because it it begins with poor little sarah who's the third child in the in the trio poor little sarah being relentlessly bullied by more awful local kids but 18th century local kids local kids dressed as the goddamn ku klux klan <laughs> yes with sacks on their heads with eye holes and they're chanting devil's child devil's child devil's child and horrible terrifying terrifying yeah what's the time mr wolf what's the time mr wolf Do you know mr mr wolf would skip his dinner time if, if he heard them chanting like that. <laughs> he would. Stop pestering me! It hadn't registered to me that this would be terrifying. But yes, of course, if there's one thing you don't like, it's any kind of mask or face being obscured by other things and anything like that. Can't deal with clowns and things. So these horrible local kids relentlessly bully this little girl. They call her Devil Child. And we, as we find out at the end of the episode, it's because it's simply because she has a birthmark on her face. We've had three and a half episodes without meeting our guest star, which is very strange. They've they've withheld her for this long. But finally, we get to meet, at long last... Miss Raven. And do you know who Miss Raven is? Who's Miss Raven? She's got that bloody silver lamp! 
<laughs> it's Jacqueline Pierce. It's folk horror Servalan. It most certainly is. And it's literally Servalan. She even has, like, wonderfully outlandishly glamorous clothes and jewellery. And she has the exact same hairstyle. She's playing it exactly as Servalan. She is. So she's not even playing a different character. She's just playing Servalan, but in Moondial. So either she can no longer be bothered playing other characters, or they've simply hired her to be Servalan and say, please, uh, Miss Miss Pierce, could, could you... Just do Servalan, is that all right? That's all we want from you. Here you are, Minty. Come and meet our guest. Miss Raven's here to investigate Belton, as I told you, Minty. Looking for ghosts. Hello. Though I don't know what you'll find, I'm sure. Oh, if there's anything to find, I shall find it. I have a nose for ghosts. Oh, well, of course. If it's your job. And what about you, Araminta? Perhaps you've seen something. Well, she's not been here five minutes. Children have to be watched. I often think of them as spies. And she's hardly been in the house. Runs around the gardens all day, don't you, Minty? Ah, the gardens. Then later, Araminta, you can show me the gardens. I'm in two minds about this because although I like Surflan and I really like Jacqueline Pierce, it's slightly jarring tonally when we've meticulously generated and built this sleepwalky soporific tone to the whole thing over three and a half episodes to suddenly go high camp and suddenly have surfland in the middle of this going being full here i am glorious jackie here i am being glorious it's slightly jarring yes and i know we kind of need a, an actual personified villain at this stage it's quite a bold move not to have the central villain until three and a half episodes in but i do wonder if she breaks the tone a bit, if she breaks the mood. I think it's probably just nice for Siri to have a decent actor to play opposite, to be fair. <laughs> well, there is this, yes. I think she's played too outright evil, and I think it's one of the few things in this that isn't subtle. I think most of Moondial is actually very subtle, and I think that's possibly what my problem is with having Miss Raven as being actual Servalan, is that it's just not subtle. She's just playing this ghost hunter as outright evil. And I think it actually would have been a lot creepier and a lot more interesting if she had been a nice old lady, or apparently a nice old lady. Yeah. Who then we could find out is is more sinister. I find it particularly creepy the way Miss Raven keeps on calling uh, Minty Araminta. I think she probably knows what it means, and so she knows that she's the... that she's going to be her nemesis. She's going to be the one who, who tries to, you know, save the children and... You know, be the vindicator. Or, or, or. Do you think you'll watch the rest of it? I might do because I, I do. I, I have no idea. I have no idea how it's going to go. I can't remember what's happening. There was so much in it that disturbed me so much. I'm a bit kind of. <laughs> can somebody just tell me what happens at the end and who the big baddie is? <laughs> what are your favourite and least favourite characters? Okay, well, uh, my favourite character. He's definitely Minty. I just love Minty. She's great. She's the kind of lead character I would be really proud to write. I think she's I think she's a wonderfully written character, a wonderfully nuanced character, and I think she's acted superbly. I just 100% love Minty. We are all team Minty here, with, with a special shout-out for Tom as well, because he was just adorable. 
I don't know. Oh, my worst my, my worst character was just the, the vile children being. But no, my worst character was the gardener. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Mags. Mags the gardener, Mags the gardener just who's just proper battering Tom away. Just, ugh. Oh, somebody should punch him in the face. All of the adults who are being mean to the children, just don't be mean to children. If you don't like children, don't go near them. It's fine. They're like spiders. If you don't bother them, they won't bother you. You don't need to squash them. You don't need to hit them. Just put a jar over them. Yeah, put put a piece of card under the bottom and then carry them outside. Just put them yeah, out the window. Just chuck them out the window, especially if, like me, you live on an, up, on an upper floor. Um. <laughs> so basically you hated the children and you hated the adults. They were your, they were your least favourite characters. Your favourite character was the ginger cat. <laughs> Wilby's ancestor was my best. <laughs> Um, I think it's no secret which was my least favourite character. Um, I can't even imagine who your least favourite character might be. (laughs) You've been so discreet about it. Uh, I think I would agree on Minty as well. I think to not only have a central character who is so compelling, because it's just difficult to write central characters, but also a teenage girl, which seems to be the hardest character for anyone to write. I think it helps that A, the part was written by a woman, and B played by an actual teenage girl who was an actual teenager and an actual girl rather than a woman in her 20s like in Doctor Who. That helped a lot. That did help. Because even if like you remember quite vividly what it was like to be a teenager, you're not a teenager. You're going to try and act like a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> exactly. Again, I, I probably know the answer, but your favourite and least favourite elements. I really liked the the place, the house, the Bel- Belton Belton house, and the gardens and the beautiful looking place. It, I, I love. I think the orange tree with the black and white checked floor. Beautiful, beautiful place. And all of all of that. I thought the scenery was beautiful. I thought the I thought the houses, the architecture. I just thought. I thought the, the location. I think my favourite bit, my worst bit, just the scariness, the scariness and the trauma. And just, you know, honestly, to be fair, in the future, if you if you could try and refrain from making me watch adults beat children, that would be useful. I shall do my best. I'll put it on the list. Thanks. I shall put it on the list along with... Uh, Literally Demons, everything else. The actual devil. And masks. Masks, gloves. Yeah. Tall Scotsman. people. I don't mind Scotsmen, just tall people. <laughs> John Cleese. <laughs> John Cleese, yes. Thank you ever so much to, to everybody for, for tuning in. Thank you, Adam, for forcing this upon me. It's been it's been an experience. If you would like to get in touch with us, you are more than welcome to. We're always happy to hear from you. Um, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Our, our Twitter handle is at retro underscore tube. Our email address, if you would soon use that, is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. We're vaguely all right at getting back to people. Um, yeah, we were better. We we used to be better, and 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 then our our uh, our admin assistant, me, got very very ill and just stopped speaking to anybody uh, for quite some time. So yes, I'm sorry about that, but we will we will do our best. 
Our Twitter, our Twitter address is at retro underscore tube, and our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. You are more than welcome to get in touch with us. We love hearing from people, and uh, we will we will see you again shortly. I hope. Um, that's very much all from me, Adam. Please, please, will you have the last word? I made a jelly. Children like jellies. <laughs>